0: Welcome back to this week's episode of the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. And this week, we're getting spooky in the kitchen with one of our favorite Instagram and YouTube stars, Casey Hansen, the homicidal homemaker. Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us today, Casey. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We're super huge fans, and I'm actually blown away uh, by having you on the show today. Yeah, we can't believe you want to talk to us
2: yeah well i'm flattered that you guys want to talk to me you know most people that have the word homicidal in their name a lot of people would run rather than invite them on a podcast with them so thank you for having me
1: oh yeah of course like where it would usually be a deterrent like that's the kind of stuff that like really draws us in like we live for that spooky life and you're just like you check all of our boxes we're here to clarify that as far as homicides go casey is killing it in the kitchen boo (laughs) sorry
2: guys
0: (laughs) Um, Well, thank
2: you guys so much for watching. That means a lot to me. When I started the Homicidal Homemaker, you know, it was it was actually a Web. Actually, (laughs) let me do a throwback here it was a MySpace page before it was anything. So way Whoa. back in the day, you know, what is that ancient thing that you talk about? MySpace. But anyways, when I started that, I didn't know if there really would be an audience for gross looking or spooky food. So it's really cool that I've, I've managed to do it for as long as I have and that there's people like yourself that enjoy what I put out there. So I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah,
1: of yeah. course. You have trouble like even today trying to like let new people know that you're spooky like when you meet like new people like at a show or something
2: um, I think uh, when people see me, they're ki- they are kind of already know that I'm into uh, creepy stuff because I'm usually always wearing a shirt that has like a monster on it or something horror inspired or a horror movie t-shirt. But um, I do try to keep everything that I do at The Homicidal Homemaker, I do kind of keep that under wraps when I first meet people, like especially in like a professional setting. So um, most of the people I work with, they have no idea what I do. I'm very, very private about it. But as for when I... When I go to conventions, I mean, people kind of know by looking at me that I'm, I'm into some odd stuff. But um, a lot of people, they are surprised when they hear that it's um, a combination of horror and cooking or horror and crafting. At first, it was um, a lot of people at first, they they were kind of taken aback by it, but um, not so much now. Now people just seem really excited about it because um, some of the feedback I've gotten is that, you know, horror fans cook too, or if they don't cook, someone in their house does. And um, they, they really like seeing a way that they can tie that in with their everyday life. And that was the main focus of the Homicidal Homemaker from day one. Um, I started it off um, just on my personal MySpace profile. I started posting just stuff that I would make. And people were, you know, asking, how did you do that? So I started a little profile for the Homicidal Homemaker. And, you know, people started adding me on there and, you know, asking, you know, how I did stuff. And I'd give them a little step by steps. And it wasn't until, like... Gosh, 2010 that I actually launched a website. So um, that's kind of where everything took off from there. And I didn't. I thought maybe like 10 people would follow it. I started a little Facebook page to coincide with the content that I have on my website, and it just started taking off. And I was really surprised. And I was more blown away that immediately people started making the recipes and sending me pictures. I thought it would be years before that would happen. So that's really the best compliment that anyone could pay me is that <laughs> they not only are paying attention to what I'm doing but they're it's inspiring them enough to do it themselves.
1: That's that's incredible. Congratulations. Thank like you. I'm, I'm glad that you're having that sort of reaction. I always struggled like I've been spooky my whole life and like <laughs> I, I don't know how to I don't know properly bring that up to anybody so I'm, I'm so glad to see like a success story like i've been i'm creepy and it, it, it's working that's that's very cool for you yeah casey
0: you said you started on myspace and then you launched your website how many years exactly have you been doing the homicidal homemaker
2: um i started the persona probably about 10 years ago so it's kind of weird to say that out loud um yeah it because it was probably around 2008 when i started you know posting the things on myspace so that's really, really weird to think about right now. And just to think about how things have changed throughout the years and how I've tried to adapt. And, you know, I do this all outside of a full time job. So it is definitely a passion project and a labor of love. So um there's so much more that I wish I could do. And I wish I could commit more time to it. But right now it does uh, come outside of my full time job. So it's kind of weird to think about that I've been, you know, trucking along this long with it. Definitely what's been keeping me going is seeing how it's inspired other people. I, I think that um, it wouldn't be fulfilling for me or as fulfilling for me because I am an artist and I am a creator. I constantly have to be doing something or I drive myself insane. So I know that I would it still be doing it.
0: <laughs> the amount of detail attention to detail that you put into things. Your Cenobite brownies. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. That
2: <laughs> that that's favorite.
0: patience. That's love.
2: Oh, that people have gotten really mad at me about that template. They're like, oh, you didn't say it would take so long to cut it out. I'm like, well, you don't want to watch that on video. That's going to take forever. So... Yeah. Those cinnabite brownies, though, those were really good. And I I said on the written recipe, if you want to add extra suffering, you can add a little pinch of, like, <laughs> cayenne to them. But uh, I didn't do that on mine because most, most of the time when I make them, people just like the chocolate and cinnamon. But, gosh, I'm glad you brought up that episode. That was one of my favorite ones to film. I, I say that about, like, every episode, though. But uh, <laughs> that ending, though, with our friend Derek, where I had him as Frank Cotton, like, that was so freaking funny to film. He looked really sweaty, but he wasn't. It was really (laughs) cold. And his girlfriend was misting him with a water bottle. So he'd look all like gross and sweaty, (laughs) like (laughs) rain does. So we were actually like freezing in the garage filming that.
0: Do you do most of the episodes out of the garage?
2: No, most of them um, are done right in the kitchen, the set kitchen over um, at my producer's studio in Fresno. But we do, if we have cinematic stuff, we'll film that either in a living room, outside, green screen it, which is a nightmare. Uh, Not so much (laughs) for me, but for my editor and producer. So I'm trying to reduce that. Like, that's one thing that we've talked about is how can we produce more episodes quicker? So um, I'm going to kind of, for 2019, I had to think about what year we were we're in right now. Wow. I almost said 2018. I'm like, wait a minute, we're in 19 now, right? um I'm still in trying-
1: like 04 right now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like, when people say 2000, I think, like, oh, that was, like, 10 years ago, so, no. Yep. <laughs> so, I'm on, I'm on the same page with you there. But uh, one thing I was trying to think about for 2019 is how we can, you know, consistently produce more episodes. And I do want to try to um, whittle down a little bit of, like, the green screen work. So, a lot of the stuff, like, we film it outside, film it in the living room, film it in the garage, or film it in front of a green screen. Some of the examples, like the Dead Alive custard, when... My friend Evan is walking up to the house. He's the one that always gets killed on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a hashtag going around. Evan must die because he always dies on the show. He's walking up to the house with a Sumatran rat monkey in a crate. And that was actually all done green screen. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that like the neighborhoods, when you see my house and you see the neighborhood, that's all fake. That's all little miniature models that have been built for the show. So if you see me in the window... I'm actually filmed in front of a green screen, waving and then composited into the shot. So we're trying to eliminate more stuff like that so we can just focus more on putting more recipes and more content out rather than spending so much time and resources on like little things like that, even though we have a lot of
3: fun doing it. I mean, I, I just totally thought you get that, lived like, in that's this perfect awesome. suburban, not like John Waters film set. <laughs> I didn't realize it was miniatures at all
2: i hope i didn't
3: destroy (laughs) no no it makes me feel a little bit better about where i live it's fine (laughs)
2: yeah Yeah, we live in and a faces
0: right now we're just like shocked
1: we would have never guessed yeah the The second you said miniatures like we both like did a slow turn towards (laughs) each other that's incredible i love that stuff
2: so did you guys think that i had like a cemetery next door with a zombie neighbor please say yes
1: well i mean like i I had an apartment in college (laughs) (laughs) But <laughs> like I, I lived across the street from a cemetery, so I was like, yeah, other people have spooky places.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that whole little cemetery too, like we can move around. We've used it for different episodes. And our friend uh Michael, he's actually he does makeup and effects on the show sometimes. He had this really killer uh zombie costume. So I was like, he's the zombie that you see on the computer, like watching the shows. <laughs> and uh, he's also he was Jason Voorhees on the Friday the thirteenth Camp Crystal Cake. He was also Jason on the brain macaroni salad. We actually filmed, uh, again, talking about locations. That backyard pool scene was our friend Michael's house. Cool. And none of us are cool enough to have a swimming pool. <laughs> 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 so um, we asked him, we're like, hey, can we film like a little pool scene? And, and Samara is his daughter so she was really cool I was like are you cool with like climbing through the inner tube like you're coming out of hell and that that was such a fun day so we do move around to answer your question as I sit here and ramble on and on because I can't make my (laughs) point we film at a lot of different locations but uh, mostly just in the kitchen and it, it is fun to get out of the kitchen and do other things and a lot of times it's like we try to make our own little nod to the film like on poltergeist or like on the stuff and then another time we'll try to try to replicate something from the film like the dead alive custard scene that was a nightmare to film by the way the ending (laughs) um (laughs) and sometimes like uh hellraiser like the ending will try to make it look so much like the movie yeah it's fun (laughs) the little critters that
3: you made as well which
1: i really liked those as a puppeteer. The critters like uh, that's like one of my like go to like just to put on kind of movies. But like the detail in that I was one of the first things I saw of yours and I was like, this is incredible.
2: Thank you. I really wanted to do a critters egg episode. That was one of. So here's the thing that's funny about a lot of the recipes that you're seeing. I've developed them eight, five, eight, ten years ago, and I never put them on the website or I never, you know, did a episode of them. Like the, the next episode that's coming up in like two weeks that's something I developed like six years ago. So like when we we're getting ready to film and I'm like, I better, you know, recheck the recipe and make sure I'm <laughs> still happy with it because it was so long ago. So, um, the critters eggs, those were something that I wanted to do a long time ago. And when I developed it, it actually had like a runny green caramel filling and that looked cooler in my opinion, but I went with peanut butter because everybody loves peanut butter. And I thought it would be perfect for Easter because everybody gets like those Reese's eggs in their Easter right. basket and they were, really, really good, by the way. I'm, I'm looking forward to making those for Easter this year. But I wanted a critter, you know, prop, but they were really expensive. Like, I wanted one that was a pretty good size that wasn't, like, super, super small And I just went to building one and I'd never built a puppet before. And so I've on my Patreon, I loosely posted some step by step photos. I didn't really know what I was doing at all. I just had a hot glue gun and my supplies and I would take photos and I'm like, I hope this turns out. It has to turn out because I need it for the episode. So that was kind of like my deadline. And I constructed that puppet with just discount craft foam that I bought for like $0.25 a sheet off the clearance rack at Hobby Lobby. And then I took craft fur that I bought by the yard at the craft store. And I'm trying to think what else was on him. Most, I mean, his whole body was done out of that craft foam that I just layered and I... Glued it together with like carpet adhesive from uh like Home Depot because I figured it would be a little bit more flexible and I knew that it would give me a really strong bond. And then I used like a wood burning tool to add texture and detail, probably not the safest thing to be breathing those chemicals, but I did it. And um, and then I used the Dremel to kind of heart. like to kind of like sand down the edges the sharp edges and kind of like bevel it and from there it was just really cheap craft paint like the cheapest craft paint you can find at the craft store it's like 50 cents a bottle ping pong balls for eyes that I just glazed with a little bit of red and then I took little wireless like led tea lights and I put them in on the inside so his eyes would glow red and wooden skewers that I trimmed off the sharp ends and inserted them in there and those were the teeth and I even made the tongue out of craft foam and I heated it to kind of get the shape of it so So it wasn't just like straight and flat. So a lot of people have asked for tutorials on that. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that again. I just kind of (laughs) winged it. But that's how we ended up getting our critter for the episode. And I actually, a couple of nights ago, was going through old videos on my phone and found behind the scenes footage that I had taken when we were filming that. So back to the locations, as I sit here and ramble on and on, um, that <laughs> was actually filmed at a local park. And so if you go on my Twitter, I posted a little behind the scenes thing where we were filming evan you know hiding the easter eggs and these little kids just kept running up and they thought he was like the easter bunny (laughs) and they started like taking our eggs and like they're screaming we want an egg and i'm i'm me i'm like where are their parents you know i'm starting to get like super annoyed but thank goodness we were doing everything on adr so we could just cut them out but this woman starts just screaming at us like when we're filming saying like are you taking pictures? Can my kid come over? And I'm like, you just are seeing a random guy in a bunny suit <laughs> at a park and you want your kid to come sit in his lap? Okay. Like, and, And it was just funny because all day, like these people were just like wanting their kids to get pictures with the Easter bunny. And we're like, oh, my gosh. And then a woman comes up and she's like, nice critters and walks off like she saw the (laughs) puppet, like knew what it was. I'm like, "Okay, good. Someone who has no idea what we're doing, recognized that it was supposed to be a critter. So I think we're in good
1: shape. Is that like the kind of social interaction like you're looking for when you're like shooting on location? Just like, oh, cool stuff. See you later.
2: We don't do a whole lot of stuff in public, but a lot of people, they always kind of, like, wonder what we're doing. And it's it's kind of funny when people, like, come up. One of the things that I really like is when people are like, oh, are you guys YouTubers? Are you vloggers? And then I can at least tell them about what we're doing. But a lot of the time, like, when people ask what we're doing and I say it's a horror-themed cooking show, they just kind of look like what
1: (laughs) oh cool I'm gonna go anywhere else now thank you yeah
2: so a lot of them they just look like what is wrong with you people but when we're actually like out just like filming stuff we get a lot of especially like younger people saying can I be on your video so when I was over at like not scary farm and like universal when people kept approaching me I'm like yeah you can be on my video and as soon as I said that they'd like lock up they'd look like a deer in headlights so (laughs) But it was cool because a lot of people, they'd see the camera and they're like, oh, who are you with? And then I could at least tell them, you know, about the show. And a lot of them said they would go check it out. I don't know if they did, but uh, I gave them stickers and things like that. So, you know, they're like us. They're into scary things. That's but like when we're out and audience. about in public, I mean, especially in a lot of the areas where we're filming, a lot of those people are kind of conservative. So they're like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> So I I often wonder what Ian, my producer, his neighbors think, because you either hear us screaming, you know, like the stuff episode. There wasn't really so much screaming for that. But I'm like, I wonder what they can hear through the walls and what they think that we're doing. I mean, it's Fresno. There's a lot of weirdos there. so.
0: (laughs) So, Casey, as somebody who loves practical effects and loves all the attention to detail that you put into every one of your episodes and every one of your pieces, my biggest question for you is, how do you decide how to translate something from the screen to reality? What makes you decide that for something like a critter's egg, you know, you're going to use peanut butter, like the ingredients you're going to choose to make that a reality?
2: some it's it's really dependent on the recipe or dependent on what I'm trying to get inspired by sometimes I'll look at something and i'll i'll watch a movie like when I get an idea for something I'll watch the movie over and over again I'll make notes like if they say something and if how I'm thinking okay well they used that here maybe this ingredient will look like that or they reference this food item let's tie that in because i I don't know. I feel that it would be easier for me just to make something and to call it something inspired by the film. But I really want to find a tie in with that. So like on the Hellraiser brownies, I you know, at first I was thinking, OK, maybe I should do them blondies so they would be like a golden color. But I was like, well, I want to call them like, I want to tie it in with Cenobites. So I'm like, cinnamon, Cenobite. And then I was <laughs> thinking about like this chocolate and cinnamon with a little bit of the chili powder. And I was like, oh, that could be like the extra suffering. So I try to like <laughs> really pick apart things and find ways that I can tie the ingredient in with them. And so like for an example, with the stuffed marshmallow cheesecake, I I redid that recipe like so many times before I was happy with it. And I I knew that I wanted it like a no-bake cheesecake, but I wanted it with like marshmallow fluff and marshmallows because the stuff is very like marshmallow fluffy looking and Again, I was watching it and they have that character Chocolate Chip Charlie. And I'm like, I'm making the crust Chocolate Chip Charlie inspired. And so that's why I use chocolate chip cookies for the crust on that one. So it's um it's really dependent on the recipe and on the movie. I try to watch things. I try to find nods in the movie on maybe how they did something like Camp Crystal Cake, the Friday the 13th one that I did. I was like, OK, it has Jason's mask on it, but I wanted to tie it in more with like the summer camp theme so i did a toasted marshmallow filling you know because that's everyone's favorite summer camp treat is toasted marshmallows but uh yeah i just try to find something within the movie that i can tie into the recipe and i'm trying to be careful right here because i'm like oh that episode hasn't come out yet don't talk about (laughs) that so in my safe with us in my thank you, in my recipes for room work, like an example, um, I just did like the hot buttered red rum. Like hot buttered <coughs> rum is a classic drink. My sponsor, Deadhead Rum, uh, they they send me lots of rum. Also, Sangre de Vita Tequila, so I I get to play around with rum and tequila quite a bit, which is pretty awesome. I wanted to do a holiday drink with the rum and. I've drank many hot buttered rums, and I thought, well, why don't we make it hot buttered red rum inspired by The Shining? And that's perfect because, you know, it would keep you from freezing to death out in the hedge maze. And everybody needs a little alcohol around the holidays so they don't actually go chop up their family with an axe. So...
0: Yeah no I absolutely love the attention that you pay to detail like even just getting to hear your inside like your thought process on bringing these things to life and seeing how much you truly pay attention to really making something a reality and what your process is in like you know the specifics of it all and deciding what pieces of the film matter most to make this accessible to the fans accessible to people at home which I think is super important and just like a very true labor of love.
2: Thank you. It's really important for me to do things that not only are entertaining for people, but that are easy for them to do, like for all skill levels. Like there's some things that are a little bit more difficult. And then there's some things that are so easy that if you've never cooked before that you totally could do it. But it's not fun to read a recipe and want to make it. And then you realize like, you know, one ingredient costs a lot of money or you have to special order something. And then there's this whole possibility that it may not turn out. That's not fun for me. I hate when that happens to me when I'm making recipes. So that was like one of my main goals is, you know, make things that are, you know, lower in cost that are pretty easy for, you know, all skill levels. And if they're a little hesitant to jump in, that it could still be educational for them. Like I always, it's important for me to, you know, mention critical steps. I cannot stand that when I'm watching Food Network or I'm watching another YouTube video and they don't mention something like they mentioned how to temper chocolate, yet they're just melting it. And that's, you know, they should explain why tempering is important and what that process is because people are looking to those videos to learn. They're watching those because they want to gain something from it so they can create something cool. So, When I'm making like on my Twin Peaks Black Lodge pie, um, I mentioned tempering your mixture, your eggs. So, you know, if you were to pour a very hot liquid of melted butter and uh, milk and chocolate, and you pour that into raw eggs, the heat would rapidly cook those eggs and you'd end up with chunks of scrambled eggs in your pie. So you, what you do is you take a little bit of the hot mixture and pour it into the eggs, beat it. So it helps bring up the temperature a little bit. Then you put the rest of that mixture into your hot one and quickly mix it. So you don't rapidly bring the eggs to a high temperature and cook them. So it's always important for me to put little educational things like that in there, just because, you know, I'm in love with what I'm doing. Like I I have so much fun doing it. That's ultimately what it comes down to at the end of the day. I do this because I have fun doing it. Secondly, seeing people who said that they've never cooked before and then they make something and it turned out and seeing that excitement, that's what keeps me going too. like, that's, that's the whole other part of it is like is what makes it fun. So I don't ever want to be that person to where I left out a critical step and then they end up with like this big mess and they have no idea why. Like, And if if something doesn't turn out so good, I do always try to jump in and tell them what I think went wrong. And sometimes that's also on other recipes that aren't mine. I'll see their results and I'm like, oh, well, maybe try this instead. So I always try to be really helpful because it's not fulfilling for me to see people discouraged. And uh, that's that's really what it comes down to. You know, I want to make it fun for them to watch. I want to make it fun for them to make and I want to make it educational so they can learn from it and apply that to other things that they cook
1: that's awesome. That's the kind of dedication that I'm always looking for in like shows and uh, and people like you and everything you just said like, in the last five minutes, I was just like, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, that's incredible and very cool of you to do, especially like getting hands on with your fans and, you know, suggesting uh, ways to improve, like if not only that specific thing that they're working on, but improve their own abilities in the kitchen. Is it like invaluable information? Did you go to uh, any sort of schooling for this or, Are you just kind of like self-taught cooking? No,
2: I'm I'm self-taught. I used to help uh, my mom and my great grandmother in the kitchen, and um, watched a lot of cooking shows when I was younger. When I was really little, my earliest memories are watching Bob Ross and Yan can cook on PBS, and (laughs) so like I would always watch those shows, and I think that's just kind of like what inspired me to do it. I always watched cooking shows, and uh, I did take one or I took a little series of cake decorating classes, but I feel like I learned the most just trial and error, you know, trying things on my own, going on forums and reading what people did wrong and trying to learn from their mistakes and learn what not to do. So I really haven't had any actual training I've went to local cooking classes that like chefs put on here but I haven't gone to like culinary school or anything like that I just know that like I don't like going out to eat and buying something when I'm thinking I could make this better at home myself (laughs) that's kind of like what a lot of the driving forces or is you know why is this so expensive I bet I could do this and it's fun and the same thing with like pastry arts. I just got too many crappy cakes at the bakery. And I, <laughs> I I, was like, you know what? I know how to bake a cake and I'm an art major. I'm sure that I'm, I could do something pretty cool. It started off like that. Like I got my brother a cake for his first birthday and it was, we ordered it from a popular bakery here. It was so dry. They spelled his name wrong. I don't know how you could spell the name Adam wrong, but they managed to do that. I mean, it's one thing if it's my name, I spell my name weird, but Adam, A-D-A-M. And it was written on the form. I don't get how they could misspell that. And it was supposed to be Elmo. But now that I'm looking back on it, it probably looked more like a jacked up version of Hellboy or something. I mean, it was, just like, it was so bad. And I'm like, how could you mess that up? Maybe like the next year we got him like this camouflage birthday cake and we end up with like a polka dot cake. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm doing this from now on.
1: Yeah, I will not that, dedicate my whole life to making better things than this.
2: So, I, that's kind of how I started with the cakes. And I found a picture where, like, oh my gosh, it was so embarrassing. It was like one of the first cakes I ever did. I had no decorating supplies whatsoever. I did not. I had never used a piping bag. I didn't have anything. So, I, he wanted, like, a SpongeBob birthday cake and... I found like a little sketch that I did because that was actually what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to work for Nickelodeon Studios as an animator, and I never pursued that whatsoever. <laughs> I have too short of attention span. I, I I dropped out of the animation class I was in in college. I just, it was too much for me, but I was pretty good at drawing all of the characters. So I was like, okay, I'll sketch out SpongeBob. And I uh, I used toothpicks to draw it on the cake, used a knife, and it's pretty bad, but now that I look back, I guess it's not that bad for not having any experience. So, after that is when I enrolled in a cake decorating class. And for some reason, I just, I really got into it. I hate the cleaning up part, I'll, I'll admit that, but I like making cakes and I really like eating them. So, that helped with the learning experiences to always have cake on hand.
1: Yeah, we're, we're all the better for it. Like that formative experience for you has shaped my whole worldview of like what needs to go into a cake now it needs to have a certain level of detail and quality like and seeing like stuff like this like the ability to do spooky cakes like i don't ever want any sort of confectionery otherwise all of my desserts for every birthday and holiday need to have some level of spookiness to them now and <laughs> well of it's, course it's that's your the best <laughs> way
2: <laughs> well i'm gonna take that as a compliment so oh, absolutely <laughs> that's my intent
3: i mean i think i've told you before that like I listen to, well, I watch most of your videos before I go to bed because it just relaxes me a lot. Um, and I think I also mentioned to you before in a message that your show reminds me of a Vincent Price cooking show hosted by a more genuine down-to-earth Elvira in a John Waters movie set. And <laughs> that, is, that is so that, cool, thank you. <laughs> and I just think like that's the most relaxing thing in the world. No offense to Elvira, obviously. We all love Elvira, but you know, um, <laughs> in terms of being a horror fan, I like and being down to earth, like yeah. Uh, but I, I'm very much used to listening to you rather than actually speaking because uh, I actually first found you in 2014, 2015 uh, for your website. Oh
2: wow! So before the show.
3: Yeah, before the show actually aired in 2016, I found your website. And I was looking for, for something to bake that Halloween for a party. And I came across your site and I saw a promo video for the upcoming YouTube channel. And I was like, yep, subscribe for your first <laughs> video. even went up and I've been watching ever since. So it, it, it's become routine now for me to just listen to your voice and not respond.
2: <laughs> well, I appreciate you so much, Uh not only, you know, as a long-term fan of the website, but also one of my, uh, my OG subscribers. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know, that, that whole time was really like nerve wracking for me because I thought, are people going to like get it that I'm making gross food? And I didn't want to go like right into that first episode with doing something super hard because I didn't want to discourage people. So I tried to think of what is one of the easiest recipes on my site and what is low-cost recipe on my site and what is something that's you know quick to make and that's why I went with the edible entrails because that is one of the most popular recipes on the website and I've seen so many people be inspired by that afterwards like so many people have made like intestines filled with other stuff but mine's the OG one.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah and I remember you saying that you were making it because you had a jello mold of a brain and you didn't want something that was just in the shape of a brain. You wanted it to have the detail of it as well. And you wanted to go into detail with the cooking rather than just have a generic mold. And I thought that was amazing. Thank you. I
2: try to do other things with the jello mold too, because everybody i think has bought one of those throughout the years now that they have them at like the 99 cent store for halloween every year because the first one i had to buy i had to pay like 12 dollars for it and have it shipped but (laughs) now i keep buying i have like so many of them because i've done like brain eating contests and some of the events i put on so like i probably have like 15 of those jello brain molds but i don't want to just make it to where it's like a jello brain like i want it to have like different textures and i want it to (laughs) you know have a gross (laughs) color but i also want to make things that That aren't jello. Like, that's why I came up with the brain macaroni salad. You know, you can use it for something that's definitely not jello. I appreciate that you remembered me saying that. Yeah, (laughs) no, it was
3: a while ago, but yeah.
2: (laughs) A lot of these things, I think I write them and I don't think anybody actually ever reads them. I think they just like skim over and go to the recipe. So, like, that that means a lot
3: to me. I mean, you mentioned that you use the mold in some of your events still. I was going to ask because you founded the. Central Valley Horror Club?
2: Yes, that's correct. That was actually the first horror-themed organization to ever take place in Central California. And I just really did that because I wanted to meet other horror fans in the area. And they actually were some of my guinea pigs for uh, some of my early recipes from the Homicidal Homemaker. Sometimes I bring them to the movie nights that I would host. And I have put that on um, hold right now, just while I focus on the homicidal homemaker. I kind of had to make a decision on where I wanted to devote my time, and I picked the homicidal homemaker. And um, I also hosted the first zombie themed event to ever take place in the area the Visalia Zombie Ball and Crawl. And everyone thought I was out of my damn mind when I decided to do that because of the area that we're in. Nobody wanted to run any um, articles on it. They didn't understand why anyone would want to do a zombie-themed or a Halloween-type event when it wasn't Halloween. I fought with the local media. They did not want to run anything on it. There were... The local the local one where I live in Visalia, they didn't want to run anything, but Fresno, they saw that this was a pretty big deal and they actually came down and took photos for it. So it got easier year after year. Once The Walking Dead came out, it was a lot easier to get the media to cover it. I feel like that kind of opened the door for the undead community. <laughs> it made it a little <laughs> bit more welcoming for, for press. And that event got way too big for a small team to handle. And it was a lot of fun. But like when 800 people show up, when it's like a team of eight people, we're a very DIY event. I mean, it was just more than we were expecting. And that was another thing that I had to make a decision on. It was either continue to do that, which could take all year to plan out, or focus on the homicidal homemaker. And so, again, I chose the homicidal homemaker over that. But it was fun. We did like a free zombie themed photo booth. So if you paid in- to get into the event, you would get your photo and you could download it for free. And we had a brain eating contest that you could join. I think one of the years when it was at a pizza place, like the grand prize was like the biggest pizza on their menu. So after you eat this brain, you get a pizza gift certificate. Yeah, the, the brain eating contest, that was a big task to take on to make like 15 jello brains. So that that was fun. That was a a big part of helping me develop some other skills, you know, with event management. And I kind of went into it not knowing what I was doing. It did really help me. I think that like horror hosting the movies through the club, hosting events through the Visalia zombie ball. And I did like the vampire ball, too. I think that really helped me become a little bit more comfortable speaking in front of people and speaking to people. I'm a really, really, really shy person up until a few years ago. I mean, I didn't talk to anybody. Now it's like when I talk about what I'm doing, it's easy for me to talk when it's over the phone or on a podcast. But before that, that wasn't so easy and I never could speak in front of people. When I first started doing the movie nights, I would do something quick. I'd introduce it, put the movie on and that was it. And that turned into, you know, we would have a and a after the film. Sometimes I would have someone involved with the film join us and I would do a little Q&A after. It did really help me to be more comfortable with myself and more comfortable speaking with people. And I think that if I hadn't done those, I don't think I would have done the Homicidal Homemaker show. I don't think that I could have been in, in front of the camera because I hate being filmed. I, I, don't <laughs> like, I don't like my photo being taken. I don't like being in front of a camera and I never could do it before I would lock up because of the events that I would put on, you know, that was my first step into live TV. You know, the local news asked if I would come on and promote it and I was like, oh my God, I've never been on live TV before. And I went on there and it was fine once I did it. I I think I've grown quite a bit since then, I hope, (laughs) but then I went on to eating brains on live TV so, you know, I think I I I got better. (laughs) And I think that if I hadn't done all of that, I don't think that I ever would have thought that I could do the show. The show was something from day one that I always wanted to do but didn't have the means to do. Even though we're a small team, it takes a lot of work. We all have to wear a lot of hats to make it happen and you know we we could benefit from having a bigger team but we don't we work with with who and what we have and we make it work and i'm very grateful to the team that i have and how committed they are and you know they're my friends that want to help me do something that's a dream of mine i mean that's that's amazing that they're willing to help me out like that I don't think that if I'd had all the experience with hosting that like I actually could have done the show even though it was something I always wanted to do. So I'm I'm grateful for all of the opportunities that I had with the club and with the events. And I do hope that as I have more time free up that I can resume all of that again.
0: It's so awesome to hear how much of this has like what you do, it's not just your passion, it's affected your whole kind of path in life. And it's awesome to see that like how much Having this outlet has been a part of your personal journey. So thank you for sharing so much of that with us. I think these are things that people need to hear. People need to understand. Like they tune in, they watch the videos that you put up. They check out your Instagram. They check out your website. They see the recipes. But to know how much honestly and truly goes into it from you and your personal experiences is absolutely amazing. It, frankly, it's,
1: it's super inspiring.
0: Now, you've got mm-hmm. these incredible recipes. Mm-hmm. They all taste delicious, but like mm-hmm. you said, they may not look as appetizing as they taste. <laughs> you've got your brains, you've got your intestines and entrails, and you've got your red velvet chopped meat. Out of all the things that you've made, mm-hmm. appearance-wise, what was the hardest mm-hmm. for you to get somebody to sit down and actually try?
2: Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. As silly as it sounds, those hot dog fingers... <laughs> if you go on my website, both versions are on there. There's one where I wrap them with foil before I bake them so they would swell up more in other parts of the hot dog so it would look more like knuckles. But I'm like, no one's going to do that. So when I did the video, I just kind of took that out. But someone told me that they made those and that no one ate them because they were so disgusting. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I've made where people... Oh, the Dead Alive Custard. <laughs> the Dead Alive Custard. We were watching the scene because we were trying to, you know, for the end of our video, recreate that where, you know, the pus squirts out of the wound and lands right in the, you know, custard. And Ian says, I'm sorry, I can't eat this. Like, he was just too grossed (laughs) out. And then I had just watched the custard scene where the ear falls off. And I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of getting grossed out, too. And that that was a really difficult one. It looked too much like it.
3: It's it was one was my really favorite good. films, but I would never eat during that film. My stomach started to turn.
1: <laughs> after so is watching. that like, is that a job well done or like a, a failure? If you make something that you don't want to eat.
2: I think it's a little of both because I mean, after you taste it, it tastes really good, but just try not to think about what it looks like, I guess, <laughs> because, you know, this, when you mix that, I made a homemade strawberry sauce and when it's mixed with the custard, I mean, it, it just, it looks so much like it. It was so gross
3: so disgusting, but it tasted really, really good. So I'd say it's both a fail and a pass. (laughs) It does sound like it tastes really good, but then I think if I was watching Dead Alive or Braindead at the same time, I probably wouldn't eat it at exactly
1: the same time. Maybe before I've watched the movie.
2: Yeah, I would not recommend watching it and eating.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just thinking about it right now is making my skin crawl.
2: (laughs) It was sick.
0: (laughs) Hey, real quick. Do you want to handle the Dead Alive, Brain Dead, the reason for the dual title?
2: I thought that it was because of the release. There was already a movie called Brain Dead in the US. I could be wrong on that. And so that's why
3: they went with Dead Alive. Yeah, it's Um, actually only called Dead Alive in in America. Over here, it's it's only ever been Brain Dead. And it's in New Zealand where it was originally released. It, It was always Brain Dead there as well until the US release. Yeah, a lot of
2: people have, you know kind of trolled me on that they're like it's called it's called brain dead I'm like okay when I (laughs) saw it in a VHS that scared the crap out of me when I was a little kid going in there with my parents that's like one of my earliest memories is you know going to the movie store and picking out movies and then like being scared in the horror section and running by it and seeing that and the ghoulies cover like that scared the crap out of me and I'm like that's what I remember I remember it being called dead alive so to me it was always dead alive I didn't know that it was even called dead till I was like a teenager so um, a lot of people have kind of like yelled at me on social media for that I'm like okay then just call it Dead Custard and you're fine it's
3: okay uh, I mean both are completely valid it really does depend on what country you're in I mean it was as yeah. soon as it was released it was given a release title in both places so it, yeah both are completely valid so if anyone who's listening both are completely valid Don't try and be judgmental <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah I, I only guess. learned that this year I still haven't seen Brain Dead. What? Yeah. Sorry yeah. guys. Still need to do that.
2: <laughs> well, you definitely got to watch it. Hopefully we haven't spoiled
0: too much for you. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm so in. I need to just finally sit down and watch it.
2: Make a bowl of custard. Sit down and watch it.
0: I may take that challenge on. I may make you guys sit with me. We'll make the custard. No, I can't watch you throw up anymore. <laughs>
3: I would probably be able to do it because I know it word for word and scene for scene, so I would know just when to close my eyes and not watch. I just need to not watch the big horrible baby. That's that's the thing that puts me off.
2: <laughs> we wanted to put the baby in the episode, but we just uh, couldn't figure out how to do it.
3: <laughs> you need like a big paper mache head or something on it, a grown. I'm, I'm not. Surpri- I'm
2: surprised we didn't do it. Like I have so many costumes like that I've acquired. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I may have three really big clown heads at my house that are going to be in an upcoming episode, and I'm surprised we didn't make the giant
3: baby head. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling what their three big clown heads will be for, so I'm excited.
2: Yeah, I actually bought them uh, the first year we did the show, but... We have to film it within a certain window of time because they're very hot and it gets about 108 in Fresno. So it has to be filmed during the cooler months. So, yeah, we've kind of held off on that, but you can probably guess what those are for. Yeah, (laughs) I did post some photos on Instagram, so it wouldn't be hard for someone to figure out what they're from. I posted them a couple of years ago of me being stupid and putting the costume on and taking photos, theatrical (laughs) photos in them. But you could totally tell it was a woman wearing the costume. So I had to like put pillows around my body so you couldn't tell it was me (laughs) because I'm like, it's totally clear. Like when you put the costume on, it says one size fits all but when a woman puts it on you can obviously tell that it's a woman's figure under the costume so i was like patting my my whole chest and belly with pillows so you couldn't tell and i still looked like a little kid in the
0: costume because i'm only five two so it was like hanging off of me out of all the horror movies you've seen what's like the number one horror movie that you've wanted to make something after but couldn't quite figure something out for like your big ambition project
2: I don't want to say I haven't figured out something because I have. We just haven't done the episode, but Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yes. And it's been a personal goal of mine. And I'm not trying to give too many spoilers here. But about 2008, I was in Fangoria Spooks Model Contest. That was a big step for me to even enter that because of how shy I am and at the time how much shyer I was. And I didn't think I would get very far because it was a bunch of people that were models and actresses and had established names in the horror community. And I entered that and somehow I made it in first place on the fan voting segment of the contest. And I made it all the way to the finals. I didn't win, but it was a really rewarding experience. But I always said that the next year I was going to enter, but they didn't do it again next year. But the next year I was going to build the Driller Killers guitar. And I never did. And my dad and I had plans for it. We just never built it. So I'm like, you know what? I need to do that and I need to do it for an episode. And I even have the actor picked out that I want to be the driller killer and I have the recipe ready to go, but we just haven't done it. So that's kind of like the Holy Grail episode right there for me. That's
1: awesome. I'm looking forward to it, truly.
3: Have you got any um, William Castle films in mind to make anything um, from? William Castle's my hero. (laughs) Like, I...
2: (laughs) love william castle probably my favorite william castle film is i would say the tingler yes (laughs) yes so that was that's one that i'd love to do maybe something after straight jacket i have a costume that i built after uh, joan crawford's character in that movie but again i just haven't worn it anywhere
1: (laughs) We have an episode coming out, hopefully uh, before this one airs. We talk about Castles a bit. We talk about the The Tingler and uh, the original thirteen go so it's it's cool to to hear your take on Castles. I'd love to sit down and do like a whole episode about him.
2: Oh God, I could talk about him all night <laughs> i He's my hero. <laughs> the whole thing like that really, really drew me, and not only the films, the films are incredible, and they still hold up after so long and they're so entertaining, and they were just so creative. There was just something about them that I feel can't be replicated today. It, just, it was a combination. It was like this perfect combination of so many things from that time. He worked with what he had. He was so creative about it. The whole marketing gimmicks are what really reeled me in, though. I, I work in marketing. I, I am a, an artist in the marketing and advertising field, so it kind of hit home for me and especially with everything I do I really like gimmicky things and I just I fell in love with that and I thought if there's like one thing I could wish for it would be a time machine so I could go back and enjoy you know the premiere of these films that's like probably the first thing I'd do
1: you and I are on the exact same page I I love a good gimmick and I I have such respect for just like people doing what they could with what they have. And I would give any amount of money to have gone and seen the tingler live. Or yeah, that 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 would have been
2: incredible. (laughs) Someone did it like a year ago and they actually wired up the seats so they would, you know, tingle you.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. I don't remember
2: where it was, but I saw it online. I was very envious that I couldn't be there.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of thing that, like, people people don't do anymore. You don't get those sort of, like, gimmicky horror films. And I don't know if it's a a result of just, like, what horror has evolved into or it, we just, like, don't make movies like that anymore. But it's, like, it's a, a real shame.
2: Yeah, there was just something magical about that. And I'd give anything to go experience it in real life.
1: Would you say that uh, William Castles is, like, uh, your your number one horror guy? Like, wh- who who would you say, I guess, rather... Uh, is your biggest influence in the, in the horror community?
2: I would say William Castle and probably Vincent Price with nods to horror hostesses like Vampira and Elvira.
3: But I would definitely say William Castle.
1: That's so awesome. Mad respect from me, <laughs>
3: definitely. <laughs> I think those are about the best influences that you can probably get, to be honest, in this sort of genre. Mixing the sort of like 50s style with the 80s style, like you do, those are just really perfect influences.
2: Thank you and I I do believe that a lot of that my how I like the 80s style and the 50s style I think that comes from my childhood because I am a child of the 80s So that's very nostalgic for me But I did spend a lot of time at my great-grandparents house when I was little And everything there was from like the 50s and 60s So I think that I just have a fondness for it because of that and for my childhood And you know a lot of that stuff was from before my time But it, it is nostalgic for me because it does remind me of my childhood and spending time over at my great-grandparents' house watching The Munsters and The Addams Family and also shows on PBS like Julia Childs and Yan Can Cook and Bob Ross. So I do believe that's why I'm such a fan of the 50s and the 80s. And I mean, that kind of reflects not only in my own personal style, but in like my decor and my furniture and everything like that.
3: Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s as well. And I find sort of Vincent Price and old black and white films and stuff so nostalgic. <laughs> um, so I definitely come from the same sort of place with that. I was gonna ask you about the guests that you have on your show, because you have quite big names well to us in this sort of community like Calabrese and Stella Corpses. Are they personal friends of yours? Or are they just sort of surprise fans that you gained along the way? With Stellar
2: Corpses, I was a really big fan of their music, and um, how it started off is gosh, it was probably like 2007, 2008. I happened to find a flyer on the floor at a venue that they were playing in Fresno. And I was like, oh my gosh, I listened to this band and I didn't hear anything about the show. And I went and there wasn't a big turnout because there wasn't like a lot of promotion of it. And I just stayed in (coughs) touch with them and we became friends really easily. Like we just hit it off and we stayed in touch. And um, they ended up playing my zombie ball event in 2000. I think it was 2009. They played it. And after that, we just, we became really good friends. They're big supporters of mine. I'm big supporters of theirs when they played the zombie ball the first time like we stayed up till like 4 in the morning drinking cheap beer and playing Nintendo and Super Nintendo so we just hit it off as friends really easily and um, you know hang out as often as we can I have family over in the area where they're from so sometimes when I'm over there you know we get to hang out and they were playing a show that I was hosting I I didn't put it on but I was like the MC of the show and it was around my birthday and I asked them would you guys want to be on an episode with me and they said yes and so we did our first little killer cocktails with they're also playing with argyle Goolsby. um he was in blitz kid if you've heard of them yeah Um, we we love very very very
0: argyle fan. yeah (laughs) he
2: he is so nice like oh yeah i know when you see him a couple of
3: weeks a couple of months ago actually
2: When you see him in pictures, you know, it's like hard to picture what his personality would be like. But he's like, he's so nice and he's so humble and he's like, he's just so entertaining to watch on stage. So it was, I was really nervous, like you know, I'm, I'm there with, you know, Dusty and Emilio. I know them very well. And I was still nervous when we were filming because we didn't film, we filmed that at a venue. So it was a little nerve wracking for me because I wasn't in my normal setting. And uh, we didn't really have like a kitchen. We're in a back room at a venue at a bar trying to make cocktails. So um, that's how that started. And then I've been a fan of Calvary's for a really, really long time. Like I, I saw them with Stellar Corpses gosh probably like 2009 and I had tweeted one day like oh you know here's my episode with stellar corpses and, and Argyle it would be awesome if I could get cow and they wrote back to me and said let's do it <laughs> and I thought yeah it probably won't happen but it did and it worked out and um, you know we became fast friends from that too you know we're into all the same things and you know we're all trying to we're all artists trying to do our own thing and it's really cool that we can all build each other up and all help each other out mutually and uh that's awesome i think that's why we all hit it off as friends so well and that we're all very supportive of one another and and independent artists and musicians doing cool things very grateful for that it is a little surreal for me sometimes because these are our bands that I've listened to their music and their music has inspired me to create some of the things that I've done and just the opportunity to get to work with them. It, it's pretty unbelievable.
0: I was Casey, very... can't thank you enough for letting us like walk down this path with you and learn like how much Homicidal Homemaker has affected the whole course of your life. All of these opportunities it's presented for you. Is there anything you've got like coming up that you want people to know about? Like any opportunities that you're super psyched about?
2: I actually just got my own segment on Roomorg TV, which is um, very exciting. So um, just to clarify, that's not... Um, going to supersede my channel I will still be releasing my own regular horror cooking show episodes on my own channel but as for Roomwork TV the recipes that are featured in every printed issue of their publication I'll be making a video for that you can watch and that'll be on their channel so um, be sure to check out Roomwork TV on YouTube and be sure to subscribe to my channel for all the cool updates and videos that I'll have coming out this year and I am trying to work on the cookbook that's the question that I get more often than not (laughs) it's just one of me so it's like hard I have to you know figure out how to divide my time it's like okay focus on the show focus on the website focus on the cookbook so it's like I am trying to get it done but it's just me right now so So it's a little tough because like I not only develop the recipes myself, but I maintain my own website. I built my own website. That's what I do for a living. You know, I write the episodes. I co-direct them. I create the recipes myself. I buy all of the ingredients. Sometimes I have to make the recipes like five times. I co-produce the show You know, everything that you see comes out of our pockets, mostly mine, (laughs) um, you know, because I've had people at conventions say like, oh, because I'll talk about all the things everybody does, like Salvador does the music, Ian builds the props, Ian edits the show. show, and they're like, oh, you're just, you're just the face of it. I'm like no not really (laughs) like if you want to get technical i can go off and then they just their eyes kind of glaze over when i run down the list of all the things i do and it's like i'm not bragging i'm just trying to make a point that i'm not just a host of a show like i'm very immersed in this and i'm also a bit of a control freak so like every little element like i'm involved in just good and bad
0: and you said you've got a patreon right
2: yes patreon.com slash homicidal homemaker
0: Awesome. Yeah, if we could get people to rally and support that, this way it's not all coming out of your pocket, it'd be so cool to just have more people supporting you.
2: Yeah, even if it was just like a dollar a month, that can help with ingredients, you know?
0: Absolutely. So, today's fear of the day. I might butcher the name of this, but it is Arachia Butyrophobia. Arachia Butyrophobia.
1: Arachia batyrophobia? Yeah, what do you guys think that is? It's the fear of there being spiders in your food. No. Oh. Fuck.
0: <laughs> is it the fear of your food coming alive? No. Actually, Anna, this might be more up your alley. Oh. Casey, wait your guess?
2: Was it the fear of choking on food?
0: Not quite. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof <laughs> of the
3: Oh, what? yeah. I'm allergic to peanut. So, uh, I didn't <laughs> know that's a real thing. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm obviously scared of that because, you know, it would kill me because peanut you know, allergy,
0: but. But I guess this is legitimized and not really a fear, more of like a hazard.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: like yeah. A condition. But that's crazy that it's so specifically like peanut butter, not just like food sticking to the roof of your mouth, but specifically peanut butter.
1: You'd be surprised how these fears work. Anthony has this like big book of fears and anxieties and i watch him flip through it when we do these episodes and he just finds the worst ones <laughs> <laughs> it's important to know what people are afraid of that's why we're all in this casey do you have any uh, movie recommendations for for any of our uh-huh. listeners out there i always try to see what people have been watching lately um a new movie or just movie in general just in general maybe some of people haven't seen or whatever you've been up to
2: Well, we talked about The Tingler, but one that people don't seem to talk about from William Castle as often is Mr. Sardonicus. So I would recommend that one. I would also recommend um, one of my favorite 80s flicks that uh, you might be seeing on the channel, Um, Night of the Creeps.
1: Yo! And, Mm.
2: And of course, Slumber Party Massacre, too. <laughs> because and that's the one that I recommend to people who say that they hate horror movies because I promise you will be laughing and I promise you will enjoy it it's definitely an
1: experience
3: it's a
2: good gateway film into horror for people who are exactly. into horror as well exactly I used to show that at my birthday parties when I was like a teenager and people <laughs> would be like why are you showing us this and then by the end they're like, that was amazing I'm
3: like okay I just changed your life <laughs>
1: Anthony, Anna, have you got recommendations?
3: I'm going to go with Serial Mom. I know um, that (laughs) that hasn't got, it doesn't seem like it has a lot of connection to what we're talking about, but um, I I mentioned John Waters and the whole sort of 50s campy vibe of it just reminded me of of a lot of what we were talking about today. So I'm definitely going to recommend Serial Mom to everyone. And
2: she's a homicidal homemaker herself. Yeah, exactly. That's true.
1: Well, shit, mine doesn't have to do with anything we were talking about. I just want (laughs) to. Yeah, mine doesn't really either. So I watched The Autopsy of Jane Doe the other day. So good. I I (laughs) loved that film. And I I, the reason I watched it because I don't know if it came out or if it's coming out, but there is a a film called The Autopsy, which has seemingly like a similar plot that's coming out this year. So I I can't recommend uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe enough. And I want to see how this next one kind of holds up against, you know, a, a similar film.
3: I, I haven't actually seen haven't seen
1: so I that. want to see that. Yeah. It's on Netflix right now. I love it. It it gave me, like, the creeps, like, genuinely. It, it ooped me and spooked me out. It is a truly phenomenal movie.
0: Casey, it'll be easier for you to get on Netflix. Anna, I don't know about if it's on UK Netflix right I now. I think
3: it is actually on UK Netflix, actually. I, I still find it ridiculous that we have different versions of
1: Netflix, but, yeah. I'm, I'm fairly sure it's online. Well, now that we all have homework.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My recommendation of the day, it's a little lesser known. Uh, I actually only found out about it because uh, a horror punk band that I really like, Rebel Flesh, appeared in it. It's called The Barn. Oh,
2: yes! I just
0: watched that. I really enjoyed it.
2: That was really cool. Like They really nailed the soundtrack and the vibe, and I heard that they finally got funding for The Barn,
0: too. Yes, I'm super excited for that. So That's watch more the why, barn. Um, My plug is the barn. Uh, <laughs> they did an excellent job nailing the '80s vibe for a film that came out last year.
2: Yeah, I it, I was really impressed by that.
0: Well, before we wrap up, Casey, thank you so much for joining us here today. For all of our listeners out there, definitely give her a follow on Instagram at the homicidal homemaker. Check out her YouTube, the homicidal homemaker. And if you're uh, going to check out her website for her recipes, the Look
1: at you giving all her plugs. <laughs> Did I miss anything? <laughs> yeah, Casey, truly. Thank you so much. This has really been great. Like out of all the guests we've had on our show, you've been the first. So <laughs> I, I'm eternally grateful. <laughs>
2: And I, talk, I talked enough for like the next four guests, so I apologize for that.
1: <laughs> I I could no, have this done this all so cool. night. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah th- this was amazing. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me. I, I'm very flattered that you wanted to have me on to have me uh, just ramble on about what I do and my experiences and my inspirations. And I am very appreciative of that. And I'm very appreciative that you guys uh, like what I do and what I'm putting out there.
1: Uh, of course, like I think it's so important to support other people in like the, the horror and spooky communities. And I just every bit of what you do is uh, incredible and inspiring to me on a personal level. So I, I can't thank you enough for the content that you put out and for being, you know, who you are.
2: Aw,
0: thank
1: you all for listening. To the <laughs> thank you all for tuning in to the Hauntsville
0: Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza.
2: I'm Anna. And I'm Casey, the homicidal homemaker.
1: Happy hauntings. See you in hell.
2: That's a wrap.